I want us just to look at the subject this morning, A Better Way, The Witness of a Christian Home. The Witness of a Christian Home. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's stand as we open the Word of God together. We're going to look at the first four verses. We concluded chapter 5 last week, but looking at the first four verses of chapter 6, favorite verse of many parents here, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Father, I pray that your spirit, the spirit of truth, will lead us into the truth of this text and radically guide us to be so different than our culture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We hear a song like, Jesus Loves Me, and that might be what comes to our mind, especially if you're a grandparent here this morning. Now, we know why you grandparents are so grand. Uh, grandparents get to, to learn and practice with their children, and then they get to be grand with their grandchildren. They get to just kind of spoil them. They've already learned by practicing with their own kids. Well, the sounds of Sunday morning are not always, Jesus loves me, this I know if you're trying to get your kids to church, right? You ever wonder why the devil just tries to make it so tough to get to church sometimes, especially when your children are really little? What are the sounds of Sunday morning at your house? Wake up. Get up. Get up. It's time to go to church. Wake up. Come on. Hurry up. Hurry up. Get out of the shower. He's using all the hot water. Get out of the shower. Let's go. We're going to be late. We're going to be late again. We'll never start on time this morning. Don't talk back to me. You will eat it, and you'll like it. Come on, you're going to have to eat in the car. Let's go. This doesn't happen to pastor's family, by the way, just other families. Quit fighting. He's on my side of the car. Don't make me turn this car around. Well, Dad, it's church day. You won't turn the car around. No, no, don't throw up on the carpet. No, no, not in the car. Because I said so. Good morning, brother. <laughs> Dr. Adrian Rogers said, by the time we got to church on Sundays when my kids were little, we needed to be at church because we lost our religion getting to church. You ever think about why the devil so attacks and does everything he can to keep us from getting our kids in the house of worship? And if he will do that, just think how much the devil in this current culture is doing everything they can to redefine the family and keep us as far from the things of God and the principles of God. Listen, I realize that the culture's definition of marriage and family is changing, but we need to understand this morning that the Word of God has not changed, and God's definition of the family has not changed, and His way is still the better way, and the Christian home is a vital witness in the community and in this world. It, it's, 
perhaps even more vital as a witness because when we think of the home, we don't think of ourselves in the four walls of a church building, but we think of Christians as almost satellite churches, the body of Christ scattered, not the body of Christ gathered when we think about the home. So the witness of a Christian home becomes vital to the kingdom of God. And yet this morning as I'm preaching this message, I want to go ahead and ask you to be praying for me because I'm called to strike a supernatural balance in my preaching. It's a supernatural balance that, that I've been, I depend completely on the Holy Spirit for. The, the first aspect of that balance is Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6 where it says, Let your words be with grace seasoned with salt. I am to preach with an understanding and teach the Word of God and the principles and precepts of God with an understanding of God's grace because there are those who have been divorced, been abandoned, been abused, been brokenhearted. And I want you to know this morning that no matter what you've experienced in the past when it comes to family life, that our God is a redemptive God, a God who can save, a God who can heal, a God who can restore even the years that the locust state. Even if you say, listen, I've done this thing the wrong way for many years. God says, I want to start fresh in you. I want to redeem your life, your family, and make the most from this day forward. And so, so there's the fact that we've got to let our words be with grace on this subject. And at the same time, I'm reminded of Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, that says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how can we that have died to sin live in it any longer? In other words, we're not to be so presumptuous with grace that we say, from this day on, I'm just going to continue to make all of the mistakes I've made in the past because, thank God for his amazing grace, we're all sinners anyway, just saved by grace. God says, I want you to begin today to do things God's way, to do things my way, the Lord says, so that you can be the witness I've called you to be. It's not only in your marriage, as we saw that last week, your marriage should be a picture of the covenant love between Christ and his church, but also in parenting. Are we going to just continue to do things the way the culture does it? Well, Pastor, the culture is changing. I've heard it said before, we have too many thermometer Christians and not enough thermostat Christians. Thermometers just kind of tell you, they, they just gauge the temperature and tell you what the temperature is. The thermostat changes so it can change the temperature. And we need less thermometer Christians that just reflect what's going on in the culture and more thermostat Christians that say we're willing to change the culture because we want to do things God's way. So after addressing marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul moves to the kids. And he gives three imperatives here, I believe, for parenting a better way. Parenting in a way that will become a better witness, the witness of a Christian home. And the first imperative, I believe that every parent needs to embrace here. And listen, grandparents, don't tune me out. Aunts, uncles, don't tune me out. Understand how as every member of the body of Christ needs to facilitate this process, we need to come alongside the homes and help facilitate this. And number one is to lead children as a stewardship from God. Lead children as a stewardship from God. I'm glad that we can be friends with our kids. And I'm glad we can have a, a, a family minister here like Pastor Ben who can have friendships with the kids. But here's something kids need more than friends. They need leaders. 
And so many parents are just trying to be friends that they're not leading. And, and kids need you to be first and foremost a leader and to see them as something God has placed in your life and made you a steward of. So he addresses the children. We understand this. We deduce this parental responsibility in the way that he addresses the children. And he says, children, obey your parents. Children, do what your parents lead you to do. So that assumes parents be leaders. Be leaders in the lives of your kids. He addresses the social order, much like in chapter 5 when he said, listen, here's a vital witness. And he gives us that social order just as Christ is the head of the church. The husband provides a spiritual leadership in the home. Here, the husband and wife together are to provide spiritual leadership for their children. Without this order, there is chaos. And no wonder we're living in a chaotic world today when we're saying, listen, anything anybody says is just as equally as value as any philosophy that anyone else can come up with. And, and so, as it has been said before, no wonder we live in a day and time where we are, are, are locking our dogs up at night and letting the kids run wild. That sort of describes the culture in which we live. But he says, obey your parents, and listen, parents, look at this phrase, in the Lord. In the Lord. We are responsible to God to be under his authority, just as in chapter 5, for a husband to be a spiritual leader, he needed to be under the authority of God and provide spiritual leadership, giving himself sacrificially. We said, hey, he's there to, he's there to sacrifice for his family. So the parents are to give themselves sacrificially to the nurture and admonition of their kids. We're responsible to be under his authority in order to provide a better witness. The best witness often for the kids, Dad, is to go back to chapter 5 and love your wife as Christ loves the church. It's been said like this before. The best thing any dad can ever do for his kids is love their mother. Provision, protection, and that purification we saw in chapter 5 now applies to both parents and their responsibility to provide these things for their children. Parents are to be there as stewards providing, protecting, and purifying their children as stewards because God has placed them in your life for a while. Psalm 127 and verse 3, we often hear, especially as a pastor, as I go into a hospital, and, and this is my favorite place to visit in a hospital, and be honest with you, I, I've come to really enjoy ministering to people in, in the hospital, but I still have a favorite place in the hospital to go, and, and that's where the babies are being born. And, and when I go to that place, I, I love to remind them of Psalm 127.3 which says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. God has sovereignly placed them into our hands and asked us to be stewards. And if verse 1 speaks of authority, and kids get this, I know there might be some children that are kind of like, well, it's my time to tune the pastor out because we weren't dismissed, dismissed the children's church this morning. Kids get this part. If, if verse 1 deals with the authority of the parents, verse 2, deals with the attitude that the children should have. Deals with verses 2 and 3, both kind of get into the attitude here when he says, Honor your father and mother, that it may be well with you, that you may live long in the land. 
there's, there's sort of a theological principle there in verse 2, which he quotes from the Ten Commandments, the first commandment after giving the four that related to God. He says, honor your father and mother. Honor your parents. And then he builds on that with some practical application and motivation, quoting Exodus 20, verse 12 in the Ten Commandments. He says that it may be well with you and that you may live long upon the earth or live long in the land. And you say, well, what, what is that saying there? Is that a biblical guarantee that if I'm a good kid, I'll live a long life? We have to be careful. We always want to take every precept of Scripture out of its, um, from its original context. We don't want to take a verse out of context and make it say something it never said. Listen, there are some godly young people who for some reason... God called them on home to heaven early. Didn't mean that they were necessarily disobedient to their parents. But we have to understand that the Ten Commandments was given. They were under the Mosaic Law. And under the Mosaic Law, you had, as it stated in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 through 21, if a child was totally rebellious under Mosaic Law, listen to this, kids, it's kind of scary. If a child was rebellious against the spiritual authority of mom and dad, and the parents tried to correct them and tried to correct them and tried to correct them, and they just couldn't do anything. They said, I just can't do anything with this kid. They were to bring them to the elders and say, I can't do anything with this kid. He's going to cause problems in Israel. We're going to have problems with crime, and we're going to have problems with violence all because of this kid. And the elders would say, okay, we'll help you out with that, and they would stone the kid to death. Now, that's under Mosaic law. So what the Ten Commandments were saying there, listen, if you'll honor your father and mother, if you'll obey your parents, if you'll stay under their spiritual authority, then you won't get stoned to death. You want to live a long life, then you want to obey your parents. Now, let's be abundantly clear, parents. I'm not asking you to bring your kids up to the church office next week. and say, Remember, today we live under grace. Not under law. We're not under the Mosaic law. Jesus has come to fulfill the law. He took our sin upon the cross. And so don't bring them up here to the office this week and say, we can't do anything with them. So go call the deacons. Tell them to bring some rocks. And we're just going to stone them to death. No, 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 no. No, that's not what I'm saying. But the principle here is that the parents provide spiritual leadership and they take the initiative. They take the initiative. And so those things that could take even the life of a child, but maybe spiritually as much as physically, those things are the things that the kid will be protected from when they remain under the spiritual leadership of their parents. But when they step out from under that spiritual authority, they no longer have that parental shield, that authoritative shield in their life that is protecting and providing for them. And so they're in harm's way. They're in danger. Could be spiritual death. Could be physical death. Could be a number of things. And so the church is supposed to understand our role is equipping the parents so that the parents take the initiative in providing and protecting for the children. You know, there's a lot of parachurch organizations. And I love some parachurch organizations. Others, I'm kind of bothered. You know, the word parachurch means they come alongside the church. They don't try to take the place of the church. I'm always bothered by a parachurch organization that tries to take the place of the New Testament church, the local church. Because every Christian is called to be a part of a New Testament church, a local church. Every Christian is called 
to be a part of a, a local body of believers known as the New Testament church. But a parachurch organization will come alongside the church and help the church out. And, and one that tries to take the place of the church kind of gets you into a little bit of trouble there. Why am I saying that? In the same way, I believe every church, every New Testament church is to be para-family. We're not to take the place of the family. We're to come alongside of the family because we are a spiritual family, but we're here to equip the family. If a, if a local church tries to completely take the place of the family, which was established and ordained before there was a church, then we can become almost cult-like. And sometimes that takes place. Where the parents are no longer responsible, the, the church just raises everybody's kids. I'm seeing more and more signs that the government wants to do that. They, from the time your kids are born, they almost want to say, give them to us. You don't know how to raise them, we'll raise them for you. Then one day we might give them back to you. Listen, a good parachurch organization realizes they come alongside the church, and a good church is parafamily and comes alongside of the family. Being a spiritual family is also being a parafamily. Come alongside the family. We equip and encourage you. But the parents must provide the leadership. The parents must take the responsibility. Lead them as a stewardship from God. Number two, here's the second principle. Once we commit to lead them as a stewardship from God, we need to love children in the Spirit of God. We need to love kids in the Spirit, spirit of God. Jesus loved kids. But what do I mean here by love in the Spirit of God? And you're like, how do you get that from the text? When, when he really begins to address the parents here, he says, and you, and he uses the word fathers. And, and fathers... Sometimes it's used like when the same word is used in the Greek and Hebrews defining Moses' parents. Then we realize he's not just talking to the dads here. It's mom and dad have this responsibility. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Now, when I say love children in the spirit of God, am I talking about spirit with a capital S or a small s? And the answer is yes. Because our spirit, the spirit we're to have, if we're not going to provoke our children unto wrath, our spirit should be guided and governed by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. We must be under control of the Holy Spirit if we're not going to provoke our children to wrath. And in Ephesians chapter 5, before Paul addresses the relationship between husbands and wives, and you might look at that and you say, hey, that's impossible. What Paul's asking husbands and wives to do, that's impossible. We can't do that. And then when he's asking children and parents to do, we say, no, 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 we can't do that. Before he says all of that in Ephesians 5.18, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Literally, keep on being filled. Be ye being filled with the Spirit. We can't live this life. We can't be the husbands and the wives and the children and the parents we're called to be unless we're Spirit-filled. If we're trying to do it in the flesh, we're just going to provoke the next generation unto wrath. We're going to stir up anger. See, it takes spirit-filled parents to lead with a spirit that does not make a mess, that does not provoke, that does not stir up anger. In the NIV and in the message, it says, do not exasperate your children. What does that mean? It means do not browbeat them. Do not, do not, do not make your kids feel like they can't win. Don't try to beat them down. You say, well, I've got to beat the devil out of them. 
Don't make your kids feel like they can't win where they're exasperated. And then he says fathers, representing both parents, I believe. But keep in mind, in the Greco-Roman world, it was very common for a father to be domineering. I don't mean just providing leadership. I mean domineering, verbally, emotionally, and physically abusive. It was very common for fathers to be that way. And so I believe he was saying even to the dads more specifically, do not be verbally, emotionally, or physically abusive. Even today we see that men struggle often with that. Especially if they had an absent or abusive dad, they become very controlling. Or if they perhaps had a, had a controlling mom and they resent that, they become very abusive and very controlling themselves. But there's not only the, the domineering aspect that provokes kids unto the wrath, there's also the neglect aspect that provokes kids unto wrath. God himself said to Israel that he was provoked unto wrath when they neglected the next generation. And the kids were saying, the harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we're not saved. You've neglected a generation. And so because of domineering or because of neglect, we might say because of abuse or because of neglect, we can provoke a generation under wrath. You say, what does that mean? How do we stir up anger? How do we exasperate them? What do they end up doing as a result of that? Let me ask you this. Why do some kids join gangs or want to hang with the wrong crowd? It's because they don't want to be provoked under wrath by their own family. It was an amazing scene. In the movie Courageous, many of you saw the movie Courageous last year, or year before. And in that movie, there's a scene where some little boys are kind of spying on a gang initiation. And this gang is taking this teenage boy, and they're just kind of beating the snot out of this teenage boy. They're beating him, they're wailing on him. And you think, oh, this is just gang violence. So they just decided they were going to pick on this kid. And in the end, they pick him up, and they hug him, and they hold him tight. And they say, you're family now. Your family now. At the end of the movie, when he is involved in a shootout with the police, and he's this the teenage boy is arrested, a law enforcement officer says, "Why are you hanging out with this crowd? Why are you running with these guys?" And he said, "I ain't got nobody." I think we have a generation that that's growing up being provoked unto wrath because of domination or because of neglect. Why are girls so starved for affection and for attention? Why are young ladies so vulnerable today? Because they're hungry for affirmation. They're hungry for affection. And I'll remind the dads over and over and over again, if they don't get the appropriate affection and affirmation from dad, they might search for it inappropriately from men you'd never want them to hang around. And so we need to provide that for them. And never let our kids outgrow affirmation and affection. They're hungry. They're starving. It's like the country singer Johnny Lee said back in the 70s, playing a fool's game, hoping to win, telling those sweet lies and losing again, looking for love in all the wrong places. I knew you weren't too spiritual. I knew it too, right? Looking for love in too many faces. John Prince says every kid needs the blessing. The blessing is appropriate, meaningful touch, I believe, from mom and dad, and verbal affirmation. I believe in you. You can do it. It's been said before that the most effective words of criticism and critiquing 
will be received as long as they get nine words of affirmation for every one word of correction. Correction is needed. We're about to get to that. But the love has to be there first. The love has to be there in abundance. So thank God for spirit-filled parents who look into the face of God and reflect His glory when they look into the face of their kids. The spirit of love here precedes discipline and instruction. The spirit of love here precedes nurture and admonition because I believe it's more important. Both are needed. But if you've got to either be high in love or high in discipline, it's better to be high in love. Uh, Robert Lewis, in, in our men's fraternity Bible study, pointed this out. Uh, all, just thousands and thousands of surveys were done. And they found out that kids that got a lot of love and a lot of instruction and discipline usually became more successful in life. Kids that received a lot of love and little discipline and instruction usually turned out pretty good too. But kids that received a lot of instruction and discipline and no love almost always rebelled. As a matter of fact, to be high in discipline and instruction and low in love brought worse results to be low in, dis- in love and discipline and instruction. In other words, if you didn't lay a f- platform with, for discipline and instruction with a lot of love, then it was better not to offer discipline and instruction. Rules without a relationship leads to rebellion. That's why so many people rebel when we try to get them to live like Christ before they come to know Christ personally. The good news is, if there is a relationship, if there is love there, if you're leading and loving your kids as a spirit-filled servant of God, then, number three, you can lift children to the standards of God. You can lift kids to the standards of God. Richard Ross made this statement. He said, there should be a pipeline from the heart of every parent to the heart of their children. And through that pipeline, we're to pass our values. And if the pipeline is not there, we can't pass our values. He said the pipeline is the relationship, the loving relationship. And so we need that there. And there are a lot of parents trying to pass their values to their children, but they're not keeping the pipeline there. They're not keeping the relationship intact. They're not showing the love that they need to show. But on the other hand, There are a lot of parents who have the pipeline. It's there. They have a loving relationship with their kids, but they're not sending any values down the pipe. And so we need to establish the relationship and then lift children to the standards of God. He says, bring them up. Don't exasperate them. Don't provoke them to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition. Nurture. Now, because this is of the Lord, we know it's spiritually speaking here. Nurture is spiritual discipline by training and correction. Admonition, encouragement. It's the Greek word nuthasia. We get our word for nuthetic counseling from this. Showing them the reward of better and biblical behavior. Showing them the reward of better and biblical behavior. Admonishing changes throughout the years. This kind of encouragement. It kind of works on different levels, you know? You can't get your teenager to behave by saying, you get three M&Ms today if you behave. But I'll tell you, that works for a four-year-old, does it not? See, well, some teenagers, because I don't know, the M&Ms, you just throw them, you just maybe three packs, but... See, admonition changes through the years. Th- through your middle school years, or through the middle school years, from birth all the way through middle school years, 
Children need the parents to be a coach in their life. A coach who provides the most direction and most instruction and say, this is the way you do it. This is the way you behave. This is the way you act. To demonstrate it, to coach them up. That's what they need. But by the time kids get into high school, listen, we've created this thing called adolescence, but there was a day and a time where when somebody, when a young man turned 13, he became a, he became a man. When, when a young lady turned 13, she became a lady. And there was a rite of passage, and they were treated like men and like women. But we've created this thing called adolescence, and we stretch it out to their 27, 30 years old nowadays. But when they're in high school, they need you to be more of a cheerleader than a coach. They need you around as much, but with a different style. And if you try to coach them up, when you should be cheering them on, they're not going to receive it as well. And then later, when they get out of high school, they need you to be more of a counselor. Therefore, advice, often consulted, but therefore advice when they come to you from college or when they're getting ready to get married or once they have kids through the rest of their life, you need to be an available counselor encouraging them. So the style of admonition is to change throughout their growth. Some argue over which style is most effective. But they're all complete without each other. We need to coach them up. Then we need to cheer them on. And then we need to release them and be there to consult and counsel them. And when they're old enough, as, as they're growing up, and they, they begin to ask the questions, why, why do you say this? Why do we do this? As parents, we're to bring them up in the nurture and admonition. There's some teaching going on. We don't just say, because I said so. We instruct them, we teach them, we admonish them in the Lord. Mom, Dad, why do we pray? Well, we pray because prayer gives us access to the very throne of God and we want you to know God. We want you to have a relationship with God. We want to encourage you in that. Mom, Dad, why do we attend church? Why do we need to go to church? Well, we go to church as a family because we are a part of a covenant community that we've committed ourselves to as the children of God. And they're part of our larger family. And we not only owe it to God uh, to be in corporate worship with the body of Christ, but with our brothers and sisters in Christ, encouraging them. We're not only robbing God if we're not in corporate worship, but we're robbing our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why can't I go out with this guy? Well, baby, it's because I love you more than anything, and God has given me the responsibility to protect you. And we have these values as a family, and we're passing them on to you. He does not share our values. And he will take advantage of you. Why can't I watch this show? Because as parents, we have the responsibility to protect you from the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so there are places you can't go and things you can't watch. We answer those questions. We admonish them. We give them encouragement and instruction. So parents... Be committed to lead as stewards from God. And as you lead, lead with love by the Spirit of God. Be Spirit-filled as parents, walking with God, drawing from Him so that you can pass that on and minister to your kids out of the overflow of what God is doing in your life. And then when you establish that loving relationship, their hearts will open up to you because they know nobody loves me like mom and dad loves me. And as they open their hearts up to you, then fill their hearts with the values, the standards of God. We don't need to apologize for having biblical standards. We don't need to apologize for saying 
God's way is a better way because we know this provides the best for them. This protects them from the, the schemes, the wicked schemes of the devil. We don't need to apologize for standing on the word of God. We need to show them a lot of love and leadership and show them the wonderful adventure of walking with Jesus Christ. But before I proposed to Tina, I wanted to do a few things to just kind of make her think that I might be about to propose and then not do it. So she would never be able to guess when I actually did propose. And so when we were getting close to where I thought we were about to become engaged to be married, I had a youth group and she went with me to help with the youth group. We went up to Ridgecrest in uh, western North Carolina near Asheville and um, had an opportunity after that retreat to take Tina down to something where I used to like to go. I've even been a couple of years ago to Black Mountain, North Carolina, uh, there to the Blue Ridge Assembly. It's a, I think it's owned by the YMCA now. A lot of you went there with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes probably. And we went there, and there was a trail where you could actually climb to the top of the mountain. And I said, we're going to climb this trail. We're going to climb to the top of the mountain here, and we're going to get up there, and there's a, it's, it's the most beautiful view. You won't believe this wonderful view. You won't believe it. You've got you to gotta come. Well, we get there, and there had been a lot of rain and ice and snow and that sort of thing, and the trail was washed out, and there was a big sign blocking the path, and it said, do not enter. Don't come this way. It's dangerous. It'll kill you to come this way and all that stuff. So, oh, but no, come on. you got to see. Once we get there, you'll love it. And we worked our way up the trail. And she would say, are we almost there? I think so. Let me just, as I climb over the next level, I'll look. Yeah, yeah, it's, boy, it's a beautiful view from right here. You've got to come up here. And, and I would help her up to the next level. Then we would climb a, a steeper rock face. And I would say, oh, but you need to see it from here. And I would lift her up and say, come. And she would make, are we almost there? We're almost this beautiful view. And yeah, it's beautiful right here. Do we have, come on, we, we, got, we can go a little bit higher. And we would make our way up this mountain. And finally, we had arrived at a place where we could uh, enjoy the spectacular view. There's a picture in my office of the two of us sitting up there. We had one of those cameras. You just set the timer and, uh, and got a beautiful picture there at the top of the mountain. And I, I think that's pictured the adventure of what marriage ended up having been and continues to be for us. And that sometimes the trail gets tough with this thing called parenting. But together now, as we head up this mountain of life, we get to tell our kids, come on, come God's way. Let's go. Hey, this is a narrow path that leads to life. But come God's way. Come on up here. Come up here. See the view from here. And then you go up to the next level. Come on, kids. I, I, I know this is God's way. And, and it may not always make sense, but we want you to see life from this perspective. Come on up. And so as we raise kids to the standards of God, it's not one of those uh, killjoy moments where we just say, I don't want you to have any fun in life. And so I'm going to try to ruin your good time by making you live by God's standards. No, it's saying God's got a better path. It's a more exciting path. He's got a better view to show you of life. You keep coming with us, and we keep lifting them to a higher standard, lifting them to a higher place. And one day, with joy, we get to be grandparents, right, and enjoy the landscape and look back on it. But we've got to keep pressing on and doing things God's way, lifting them to the standards of God. Jesus Christ says, I'm showing you a better way when he gave his life on the cross and rose again. He says, I want to give you life, life in me, life at its best. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, every member of this body as we participate together in this process, let's not apologize for lifting people to the standards of God. The view is so much better. 
from where he is. Would you bow your heads with me?